coming this holiday season. A lighter look at ice fishing. Follow the Wake Creative Co. and Wake Forest Films for the upcoming full-length feature, Still Hard. A behind-the-scenes look at the Stillwaters crew finding their way on and off the ice. The Tarchuk, Green, Ermit, Roseboom, McDonald, Roxy Troller, and Fog Knuckles star in Still Hard. Coming this holiday season. Look for it soon on YouTube. Powered by the Jasper Brewing Company, Wait For It Films, and the Fly Fishing 97 Podcast. The Fly Fishing 97 Podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.thewaitcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. You know, uh, I I can't think of of anything much better. And I think lots and lots and probably most fly fishermen would agree that it's it's not about going out and and competing um, with with other fishermen. It's all about getting out into the into the river, um, into the stream, into the lake, whatever body of water you might be on, and just enjoying the the tranquility and the peacefulness and the, the idea of nature because we're we're so surrounded. Um, no matter where we're at, we're so surrounded with noise and confusion and oftentimes chaos and and. You know, I think being able to get out there on, on the water and just shut down shut down your brain with the exception of, you know, what do I need to, to tie on? Where do I need to cast? <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. Those sort of things and just, just kind of vegetate, you know, and, and, and be able to concentrate on, on one thing and, and let everything else go, go by the wayside. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us this time around. And we are going to head out to a beautiful part of North America, Tulsa, Oklahoma area. We've got Chris Jackson on the line. Now, Chris is the owner of Lone Bison Premium Fly Tying Tables, making some beautiful, one-of-a-kind, distinctive, hardwood, unique fly tying tables and i know our listeners can really relate to that um chris has uh, basically he's a special education teacher at high school um he he's got quite a deep resume lots of um lots of educating shall we say lots of coaching lots of baseball one time worked for the la dodgers as an associate 
Scout, um, and his company is doing some stuff with the National Buffalo Foundation. We'll talk all about that, dig into what Chris is up to. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm truly honored to be here, man. This is cool. So, so let's, let's talk about your story a little bit, cause it's all about what kind of got the all, you know, all things stoked for you as far as fly fishing, as far as fly tying, and now you're making these butte tables. Why don't you walk us through, so kind of how did fly fishing become such a part of your world? You know, uh, that's an interesting question, Mark. Uh, you know, I, as, as, as a kid, my, my dad fished, fished and fished and fished, but he was a, a spin cast fisherman. And so I wasn't really exposed on a personal level to fly fishing until we'd go on vacation and we'd go to um, Colorado and we would go to Canada, um, up in your area, uh, as a matter of fact. And for some reason, dad liked to, to sometimes pull out a fly rod that I think he inherited from his father. And, you know, now that I, I've gotten older and I know a little bit more about, about fly fishing, I, I think my dad just kind of flailed the water with a, with a rod <laughs> and tied on whatever, whatever fly he, he happened to dig out of the bottom of his tackle box. But it was, it was just kind of interesting, um, uh, you know, watching, watching that and then watching other guys who were uh, more accomplished fly fishermen than my dad. But, uh, you know, it, it, it got to me that the natural part of, of the fly fishing world, um, you know, the, the idea that you had to almost hunt your fish uh, to make the, the proper cast into the right area, uh, the presentation, the, the techniques that were involved in all of that. So I uh, kind of became intrigued, but I was, I was definitely uh, ignorant of the whole situation. Um, thinking back about that, you know, it was years after that, uh, Mark, when, when I finally got into to actually – tying flies and, and fly fishing, but I had been a uh, backpacker and I camped a ton and um, canoed many, many, many miles as, a, as an adult um, and as a, as a career school teacher, I have summers off. And so I kind of made it a goal of mine to, to find weird and odd and different kinds of part-time jobs um, during the summer and one of the things that I did was here in Tulsa um, I happened to be living in the area and I went to um, one of our local outdoor stores that not only handled uh, camping supplies and travel supplies but they also had a, a really really nice fly shop and I uh, was in there goofing around one day and thought I'm going to ask to see if I can get a job and they hired me. And so <laughs> I thought this is going to be cool. But I found out very quickly that they weren't just going to let me sell canoes. They weren't going to let me just sell stoves and sleeping bags and, and uh, uh, you know, talk about those kind of experiences. I had to learn the fly fishing world as well. 
So being a, a, a guy who likes to learn things, um, I became intrigued quite quickly. Hmm. Um, it, I spent uh, a ton of time reading about it. Um, this was prior to the Internet. And so I would try to get as many books. I'd pick people's brains. Uh, there was a couple guys there at the, at the store who were accomplished casters, um, people in and out of the store. And I spent a lot of time standing in front of the displays, picking up the box that, had, that held the reel or standing in front of the display of flies and just, just really taking a serious look at this stuff and becoming more and more intrigued daily. Um, and, and, you know, going from there, I remember the, one of the owners Cliff said, Hey, I need you to, to, to put this backing on this customer's reel. And I remember I, I flipped out cause I didn't know how to do it. And, uh, <laughs> I used to do that so, a lot. I used to do that yeah. every, every day. Yeah. So, you know, I had to swallow my pride a little bit and, and say, you know, well, what's the proper knot? What's the you know, what's the proper technique for doing this? And, and Cliff was, was kind enough to, to, to walk me through it a couple of times. And then one day, uh, the same guy came up and said, here, here's your advice. And here's some basic fly tying tools. And uh, I picked it up and read a lot and followed a lot of recipes and Mm-hmm. You know, brought flies in and said, what do you think of this one? Does it look like these commercially tied flies? And, you know, right. things like that and just kind of fell in love with it. You know, it's uh, funny, Chris. I don't think a lot of people realize when you go into a, a normal outdoor store, like you say, you got the backpacking, you got the hiking, you got the climbing, you got the the canoeing, whatever. You're kind of base of knowledge has to be really diverse and, and I know... Sometimes I think we take that for granted when we walk into like a, a big outdoor shop. It's like, you know, everyone's kind of got their own expertise, but the, the, the sum of the parts is pretty huge. It is. It really is. And, and you never know, you know, in the retail business where those customers are coming from and their knowledge base or where they're going or what they want to achieve. So you, you got to know your stuff. Mm, yeah, for sure. So if you had to sit back, Chris, and kind of look at who influenced you, it sounds like you spent a lot of time reading and obviously a lot of time in the store. But is there a few names, a um, few people that you kind of cite as influences in your fly fishing journey? I don't know that it was um, any one person, any group of people, any writer. Um, I think it was a, a plethora of, of a lot of different people from a lot of different genres. Um, you know, anybody who, anybody who I could talk with uh, and kind of pick their brain a little bit, I would, whether that was um, customers or someone that I would, I would see out on the river um, as I was paddling my canoe and, you know, and, and reading and doing everything I possibly could. Um, I mean, I was, I was basically starting with, with very, very, very little information, but, uh, you know, in, as I've gotten older in my, in my experiences and, and my fly fishing experience, um, 
just been just been a, a a nice you know i found out that fly fishermen are really pretty nice people and uh they're really willing to help um really willing to offer some advice and and uh mm-hmm. it's all it's all worked out really well for me cool yeah i uh, that's been my experience too like um and same thing coming to fly fishing before the internet. I think, I think you've kind of got two camps, right? You've got that camp that just had to figure it out. And then you've got the new school, which yeah. is like, it's just right there. Let's, and for me, that's really exciting. There's, there's no limit to what we can learn. Um, whether you just go on YouTube or start Googling around what you want to find out about. But, um, so walk me through this. Okay. So fly fishing sounds like a fairly big part of your life, the outdoors in general, what made you decide to start Lone Bison and kind of go, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some some beautiful fly tying tables because I w- I've been looking around at, at the ones you've been doing and I know you've been getting a lot of press lately uh, in different fly fishing mags and we'll talk about that. But walk us through your journey of starting Lone Bison. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, one is is I'm kind of a I'm kind of a guy who says, if I can build it myself, why would I, why would I pay for it? And, uh, you know, that doesn't always hold true in a lot of things, but, uh, uh, after, after my buddy Cliff gave me that, that, uh, advice, uh, it was a C clamp style and my, uh, my then, my then wife and I both weren't real hip on the idea of clamping it to a table or, I I get in a lot of crap from uh, tying my vice to the table over the years from my better half, but um, thank God for those pedestals. They just don't get it, you know? (laughs) It's just a table. It's just, you could probably make a new one, right? Right, exactly, exactly. So, so I, uh, I got to thinking one day and, and uh, I thought, there's got to be a, a a better way of, of clamping device or or where I can put it. So I kind of paid attention to to what was going on in 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 like Bass Pro. I, I remember I I traveled to Springfield, Missouri, was the closest Bass Pro at that time, and uh, just was looking at their stuff, and it, it, I I was really thought this is bad there's a there's something that needs to be done here so i i went out in my garage and uh i had some lumber laying around out there and i i built a i built a table um kind of kind of like what what the the present day lone bison tables are and i tied on that for years worked really well um constantly thinking about what what could i do differently how could i how could I make it better? Uh, really with not that much intention of ever marketing it and, uh, make a, a very long and probably boring, um, story. I, I went out of the country for, for, uh, a couple of weeks and I was living, uh, at the time I was living in Denver and, uh, had some miscommunication with the, the apartment building owners and they thought I had abandoned my apartment. And so they came in and cleaned everything out and including all my, 
fly rods, my my fly tying materials, Ooh, all my camping gear. That's gotta hurt. Everything. Oh, hurt horribly. <laughs> so that kind of put a damper on things. So move forward a few years, and uh, I think I'm going to retire. I need to see if I can make a little bit of money. I wonder if I could build a better table than what the big box stores are offering right now. So I, uh, again, went out to my garage and, and uh, bought, bought a couple of new tools and cracked open a cold beer and made some drawings and came up with this idea. And I, I built it and, and I put it out on, on the internet, <coughs> excuse me, Facebook, I believe it was. And I got a message from a guy who says, I like what you're doing. I have an online store. Uh, he was a Tulsa guy. Um, can I see your tables and let's talk about how we can um, work together and see if we can uh, sell some of these on my, my online store. <clears throat> so I took, uh, I took a couple of my tables, a couple of the accessories, and we met at a, in a bar. I'd never met the guy before. And uh, he brought along a, a, a fly tying, fly fishing friend of his. And uh, they were like, Chris, this is, this is money. And I went, yeah, right. This is just a bunch of wood glued together. And they said, no, there's nothing else on the market like this. And I was just taken back. Um, the guy... <laughs> The guy's name is Chris Queen, and Chris is a uh, type A personality, driven, um, master's in business administration, on and on and on, and he is ate up by fly tying and fly and fly tying and fly fishing. And so we tossed it around a few things and and came up with a, a couple changes. And uh, I went home and built them, and he helped me build a website, and uh, here we are. That's cool. I love it. So I, I want to take a little bit of time to get to know you off, let's say, off the tying table and off the water, um, kind of your day-to-day, and then we'll dig. We'll do a deep dive into Lone Bison and, and what you guys are up to. You ready for a few random questions? Okay. okay. So... Sure. Um, Let's talk tunes. Like when you're at your tying table, is there something playing on the stereo in the background? Um, what kind of music you like to uh, listen to? Absolutely, absolutely. I when I'm out in my shop, um, I I really I really like uh, uh, a couple of bluegrass bands. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to see one of them tomorrow night in concert. Really? Um, yeah, here in Tulsa, we, we have a, a great musical background in, here in Tulsa. Oh, yeah. But uh, I really like a, a couple bluegrass bands um, that I listen to. Uh, Mountain Sprout. Um, well, if you're probably not familiar with those guys up in British, I, British Columbia. I don't know them, but I, I, I do know a little bit of bluegrass, but it was more kind of Union Station kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Allison Krauss, right? Oh, man. Love her voice. Yeah. 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 This hmm. is, uh, these guys are out of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. 
And when you see them in concert, they look like they just got done changing the oil in the, in the bus, (laughs) but man, can they play? That's cool. Yeah. Now, are you a sports guy? I, well, I know you're a sports guy. You obviously worked with the Dodgers. You're obviously a big baseball guy. I know you've done a lot of coaching at the high school um, that you're at. I have, but, yeah. I have. Are, are, is it Sooners for you? Is it like okay? Let's let's let. Who are you pulling for when you're watching sports? What's your <laughs> what's your go to? Well, when we when we uh, when we look here in Oklahoma, you you, you better have somebody, right? Um, you better, you better pick a side. So I try to stay pretty neutral and just enjoy the, you know, the, the rivalry between the in-state schools. But I think if I probably had to pick a school that I'd, I'd follow the most, I'd, I'd probably have to pick Oklahoma state. Okay. Um, I'm not real sure why, um, other than they've kind of been an underdog for so many years to OU. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I've had uh, I've had several several kids that played for me go on to play it at OSU, and hmm. and uh, it's a uh, you know it's 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 a great a great thing. You know, sports is wonderful, and I just love to to watch all of them and enjoy the the athleticism and the competition. Was was baseball a big part of your life growing up, Chris? It was. Um, I I was blessed to be able to uh to fool enough people that i <laughs> that i got to play at the college level and uh i played football and basketball and and baseball all through you know my younger years in high school and um had the opportunity to play either football or baseball in college and thought i might have a future um in baseball and was told i might and, and uh you know, people say, "Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you get to play professionally?" And my answer is, "Well, I wasn't good enough." <laughs> I mean, bottom line. Um, but yeah, baseball and, and sports in, in general have been a, a, mm. a big part of my big part of my life and, and coaching. Um, how how, I, I, how did I you end up coaching? Has been thirty years. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that before we had this this gin wagon. I thought that was pretty cool. That's a lot. That's influenced on a lot of kids along the way, and hopefully pass along some good lessons. But wh- how did you end up with the LA, in the LA Dodgers organization? Just out of curiosity, walk me through that journey. As a as a high school coach, you oftentimes will will get uh, um, letters in the mail from the different major league organizations asking. You know who? If you have any players that deserve to to be watched and and evaluated, do you know some other kids around the other high schools that that uh, you might think need to be evaluated? And, and uh, you know, so I'd fill these in and maybe write a little bit of a note. And I was uh, I was coaching at the time at a at an inner city high school. Um, we weren't very good. And uh, for whatever reason, um, a, a gentleman by the name of Mike Leitzinger, who uh, has been uh, has been called a, a, one of the best scouts in Major League Baseball, um, was working for the Dodgers. And uh, he called me back and he said, um, what do you, you know, what do you think about 
going to some ball games for me. Um, and so I got all excited about it, you know, and, and uh, so I started kind of going to games that he couldn't make, um, going and, and watching a particular kid. Um, we ran some tryout camps uh, for the Dodgers, um, giving second opinions. Uh, I've got to spend one, one Saturday with a uh, special assistant to the, to the owner um, with a, with a local kid here that, that he wanted to come and watch. Um, so, you know, I, I got to, I got to travel around the state of Oklahoma anyway, and uh, get to see a lot of quality players. So yeah, it was really fun for, for, for the time that I got to spend as a, as an associate. That's cool. It sounds like the whole education thing is a big part of your world. And that's pretty cool when you can kind of tie the two together, the sports and the, did, are you still a Dodgers fan at heart? You know, I kind of am, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't really follow it as much as what I, what I used to, you know, back with the, with some of the, the, the bigger names that I, that I knew as, as growing up. And, um, then when I was, when I was active, actively coaching, um, but I, I still have a little bit of soft spot in my heart for them. Always hoping that they'll do well. Yeah. Well, makes sense. So yeah, if you're in and around Tulsa and you're kind of going, okay, I'm not going fishing today. I'm not maybe tying flies, but you want to get your fly fishing fixed. Now, is there, is there a fly shop locally? Is there a uh, sports pub? Is there somewhere you go to kind of get your talk on fly fishing when you're, you know, not on the water? You know, as, as even as, as big as, as what Tulsa is, and we, we actually have a pretty decent fly fishing community, um, but we only have one, um, one real fly shop. And, most of the guys around here um, order them offline, you know, or tie them themselves. Um, fly shops, ever since uh, Cabela's slash Bass Pro Shop came to Tulsa, um, the the outdoor stores have, have really closed down, the mom and pop stores. And I'm sure that's probably happening in, in lots of places. Oh, yeah. Um, but when you, when you get over into Arkansas, uh, and Missouri over into some of the smallmouth streams and the, and we've got a couple blue blue ribbon uh, trout streams over there. We we've got a lot of fly shops, but uh, I just tend to kind of kind of get my fix um, reading uh, uh, books, um, um, some of the old writers, reading some of the articles. Um, that are that are out there right now from some of the the, the big writers that we have. Um, I know uh, first guy that comes to mind is Chris Hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Chris, but yep. uh, tremendous outdoor writer. If if you look at your kind of why you do this, whether it's spending time, you know, making these beautiful tables for tying, whether it's tying flies fly fishing in general like what do you think this whole thing brings into your world you 
you know, I, I, I can't think of, of anything much better. And I think lots and lots and probably most fly fishermen would agree that it's, it's not about going out and, and competing um, with, with other fishermen. It's all about getting out into the, into the river, um, into the stream, into the lake, whatever body of water you might be on. And just enjoying the the tranquility and the peacefulness and the the idea of nature because we're we're so surrounded. Um, no matter where we're at, we're so surrounded with noise and confusion and oftentimes chaos and and you know I think being able to get out there on on the water and just shut down shut down your brain with the exception of, you know, what do I need to, to tie on? Where do I need to cast? <laughs> yeah, um, that sounds pretty good. Those sort of things. And just, just kind of vegetate, you know, and, and, and be able to concentrate on, on one thing and, and let everything else go, go by the wayside. If you look at your career and you've had a fairly diverse one, um, what's the best gig you've had to date? Um, Mark, I've done, I've done a lot of things, man. Um, as I, as I pointed out earlier, my summers have, have been where I've tried to, um, find unique jobs and just sitting here kind of, kind of making a list in my head. Um, I've done everything from being a, a state park ranger for the summer um, while I was in college, I was a bartender and a bouncer. Um, I worked as a canoe guide in, on some of the big rivers in western Colorado, and uh, I guess it would be southeastern Utah. Um, as we mentioned, I, I worked as an associate scout for the Dodgers. Um, I got out of teaching for, for a little while, and uh, uh, worked for a financial company where I was a a trainer and I, I actually taught wall street executives how we did business. That was a weird deal. Wow. Um, got out of, got out of teaching another time and went to, uh, uh, Kabul, Afghanistan as a civilian contractor and, uh, worked in, uh, Kabul, Afghanistan and Kandahar, Afghanistan, um, in a military war zone. Um, money was great, you know, wasn't, wasn't real hip on the rest of it. Uh, let's see. Then from there, I went and taught at an international high school in Mexico, um, worked in some outdoor stores. Uh, my first job out of, out of college was, uh, I worked with an organization called Vision Quest. I have a, a degree in child psychology. And this this organization took uh, adjudicated kids um, and put them in a wilderness camp for part of a year and part of a year on an actual wagon train that traveled from Tucson, Arizona to the Canadian border. And the kids had to um, had to break um, wild horses that had been bought from the government and, Hmm. you know, different things like that. So. Well, Gosh, that's, uh, that's a diverse resume, my friend. 
<laughs> you know, and I, and and that's been kind of my kind of my goal. Yeah. You know, is to yeah. is to pull the trigger and enjoy and go and do. Um, so if I had to pick one, I don't know. I mean, I, I think being a bartender was a great job. <laughs> I did. I thought, I thought you're going to say something about Afghanistan, something about the no. do, the Dodgers, yeah. but no, a bartender. I love it. Keeping it real. <laughs> oh man. What's the worst job you ever had? What's the one thing you did? You're like, man, I'm not going back there. I'm not doing that again. Um, what i don't know i i i enjoyed being being a guide um on on these canoe trips that holy cow that's probably the hardest i've ever worked <laughs> a little little babysitting uh, going on there or what yeah there was some there was some some babysitting going on and and uh uh you know paddling for considerable miles and having to prepare meals and and we we had a, a pretty high level clientele that that demanded you know great food and you know you're always scared to death that you're gonna you were gonna burn something when you were cooking dinner and and we were going without dinner that night um, you know <laughs> so, and carrying carrying all the fresh water and um, we're talking Chris Jackson Red Seal Chef slash guide slash well I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I think I did a lot more carrying than I did cooking. <laughs> I love it. Um, I always find I love talking people's work history. I don't know if if you were hiring somebody because you work with kids all the time. You you kind of if you had something to say to a kid that was get, or so a younger person that was just kind of entering the workforce and and wanted to be employable, what would you tell them? Like, what's your lesson as far as you know? Bring this to the table. Well, I, I, I teach special education. Um, and so, you know, I've got, I've got kids who, who struggle in day-to-day activities, um, anyway, but I try to remind those kids. And, and when I taught, uh, at the regular level, uh, I tried to remind them oftentimes that if you're not making your boss money, you don't get to stick around. And in order to make your boss money, you got to show up every day. You've got to be friendly to, to your coworkers and to your customers. Um, you got to get off your, your stinking phones. You know, we, we are so attached to electronics that it gets in the way of our, of our everyday life. Um, but I think I, I mean, I, I think I'd tell a kid that, that he can learn, he or she can learn the job for the most part. But it's the softer skills that are our struggle for people most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I know one thing that I've always noticed is I tend to get bored in my work history. So it's like, you know, when you finally start getting good at something, you move on to something else. And that's always a pet peeve of mine. When somebody doesn't reach their maximum potential in whatever that endeavor is, <laughs> That's that just gets me for some reason. Yeah, I think you know, I, I I think we we need to do a better job of instilling into our our kids to to really strive for you know getting everything that they possibly can out of that, whether it be you know personal knowledge or or work knowledge or or whatever it is that that floats their own particular boat. Um, yeah, but amen. yeah, they 
it's 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 really it's really hard these days. I know in the educational world, we oftentimes hear um, from the business world that that we're not we're not answering what they need, and I've I've been told on several occasions that the biggest issue is uh, kids can't put down their phones. Isn't that, isn't that something? Yeah, well, I mean, I I also think, though, as as a couple of older guys, um, we got to change our outlook, too, because those phones, one thing I know is, like, so, you know, if you got kids away from home, you you know, something goes wrong, you want to know if your wife's pregnant, you want to sure. know what's going on. Sure. You know what I mean? There's, there's those things. Sure. So for me, I kind of compartmentalize that. I, I know what you're saying. I, I agree with that to some degree but i also think that that's not the new reality so we kind of have to it's kind of like evolve adapt or die you know it's like there's there's a lot of things that i mean not only i never we never were allowed when i grew up working we weren't allowed to take breaks we were it was like it was bad like when i think of some of the jobs that i did i like i mean today's like a cakewalk it's like i only got to work 12 hours that's awesome right it's like a day off you know did you ever haul hay? No, no, no. That wasn't my wheelhouse, but um, I hauled a lot of rice at one job and a lot just just weird mundane jobs, just just general labor stuff, you know. Um, no, right. but I can imagine. Uh, I think anything farm related is uh, builds character, and I think it's funny. Anytime I get a resume, and I know that that person grew up in a farming family chances are I'll hire them because you know, you Absolutely. know, the work ethic is second to none. Absolutely. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, uh, I, I would, I ahead. would have to agree with you 100% about, about that. We have to adapt to, to, you know, what's going on with our, with our electronics and, and, you know, having a computer available to you and, you know, I, I have to tell parents all the time that they wouldn't recognize school now from when they were in school. Yeah. And I guess the thing that, that bothers me the most is is not when you're on your phone trying to find information. It's when you got to check in constantly with your friends or uh, see who's on Facebook or <laughs> yeah, you know, watch, watch, watch the latest video or whatever it might be that gets in the way of that as being a proper tool. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, and I think a lot of times it depends on the job that you're doing because some things you it commands a hundred percent attention. Other jobs you can kind of Absolutely. like you can drift a little bit and and kind of come back to reality. But I think it's the new. It's like anything. It's so hard to keep good people these days. You need to find ways to make it work right whether that means doing more team building stuff and it comes back to you're a coach you grew up in the sports system for me that work thing is like a team and if your team is good i could have the worst damn freaking job in the world but if i'm surrounded by good people it's worth it absolutely yeah absolutely if we can keep if we can keep people there long enough you know yeah keep people there long enough and get them to show up on time yeah, for sure. So let's get back to your tables, man. So you, you're, you're, I know you got a full-time gig and I, I know you have mentioned to me that you have some, some health issues that have kind of taken you away from the water, but it sounds to me like maybe this building the tables and spending time tying is kind of 
refocus that energy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It has, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of go with your strengths and you know what you can't do. Um, you know, I, I can't continually fight it. So I, I find things that I can do. Um, so I, I still get to be involved in the, you know, in the fly fishing world, um, hang out with fly fishermen and tires, you know, go to, go to clubs and organizations and get to read a lot magazines and talk with a lot of people like yourself and still get to be a, a, a integral part of, of the fly fishing world, even though I, I, I can't, I can't fish and, uh, do those kind of things as much as what I'd like. Hmm. So t- tell me about your tables. So I know you've got, um, it looks to me like you got three main tables, the artisan, the nomad and the heirloom. Let's talk about the different tables you're tying with a lone bison premium fly tying tables. I know you're getting a lot of traction in mags. We'll talk about that, but tell tell us first about the craft, about, about these fine tables you're making. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's actually, uh, I, I'm up to four different models right now. Um, the, the artisan was the first table that, that I came up with and it's, it's just very simple. Um, it's, it's budget priced. I think, uh, uh it's at the lower end of the scale. And, um, I think it, it, it serves tires needs very adequately. Um, it has a, uh, a bar on it that you can use either a, a C clamp or, or slide your weighted, uh, base underneath it and put your, put your vice, uh, stem through a hole. Um, but it really, it really hasn't been as popular as, as what I was hoping it would. So I spend a lot of time thinking how I can, how I could make it better. So the next table I built was called the, the heirloom. Uh, and what I did with it was I, I put a, uh, an island on the right-hand uh, corner in the front to hold the tools that you most use. Um, you know, your favorite bobbin, your, your favorite scissors uh, that are there and easy to reach uh, kind of out of the way. And it's, it sold very well. Um, people really, really tended to, to, to like that. Um, so I got to thinking more and more and more about that, um, that little island out there and that it was, it was quite popular. And I had, I had someone say, well, it seems kind of crowded. It seems like you don't have a whole lot of space. And so I got to thinking about that and talking to a couple of people and, and uh, decided that what I would do was I would take that island and I would put magnets in it. Um, and so it would attach to the base uh, of the table with magnets. And so it became somewhat modular where you could take that little island off and put it anywhere on your tying area that you wanted. Um, and I did the very same thing with, with what I call the, the bottle bar, which is right in front of the, the uh, toolbar, and made, uh, um, made holes in the, in the 
toolbar specifically for uh, gels and glues and, and uh, even your UV light um, made specifically size holes for that. And it also is attached with magnets. Hmm. And so it pops on and off as well, opening up your, your tying area. But probably the, the, the biggest seller um, on, on that heritage style table is the vice clamp. Um, instead of having to have the C clamp or a weighted base, um, I came up with a way of putting the vise through the hole, just like on the other tables. But I have a, a clamp underneath it that is uh, you tighten with your fingers, and it locks your it locks the stem of your your vise down tight. Um, that thing's not going to move. And so then, if you decide that you need to take your vise out, you just adjust the the uh, clamp with your fingers and, and pull your vise out and put it away. So did you do this? Because you maybe wrecked a few tables back in the day. <laughs> Say that again. I said, did you do this because maybe you wrecked a few tables back in the day and learned a lesson? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. So that that has become that particular table has become the most popular um, style of table that I have. Um, and people love the, the idea of being able to take that little island off and the little toolbar off to open up their tying space and then be able to, to securely lock it back with those, with those magnets. It, and again, that, that, that clamping device for the vice stem, you know, you no longer have to have a C clamp or a, a weighted base. So it, it works out really well. Let me let me ask you something, Chris, about that. You mentioned to me um, off air that I think you were featured in it was at Fly Fisherman Magazine. How did that article come about? I'm really curious how those things kind of evolve. On on which magazine was it? Fly Fisherman Magazine. Yeah, I've been in in Fly Fisherman and Fly Tire. Um, let me think. What else? Uh, Hatch Magazine. Um, Forbes magazine even thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, yeah, thought that was kind of cool. How do those articles come about? I'm just curious, like, does somebody reach out to you and say, Hey, we want to feature your tables or do you reach out to them? I, I have reached out to, to some editors and, uh, did, did my best to try to discover who they were. And I just simply invited them to look at my website. And, uh, you know, if they felt like my product was, was worthy of um, an article or a review um, in their magazine, um, I would be most appreciative. And I have had a tremendous um, response about that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Fly Tire Magazine has, uh, they did a, a really nice review, Fly Fly Fisherman Magazine was the first one, but uh, in Fly Tire Magazine, um, the the editor uh, said, you know, hey, I've been I've been having this idea for for a long time, and I'm gonna throw this out to you. It says for very nominal uh, amount, I'd like to put a, a an article together in the magazine on a quarterly basis called Where I Tie. And what it is, is you can submit pictures of your tying space 
um, your desk, your room, whatever it might be. And then you can write an article about um, how you how you came about to tie, what you like to tie, what you fish for, you know, kind of a general interest type thing. And then if you're selected, um, you get published in Fly Tire Magazine. And so I've been sponsoring that now for a couple of quarters and uh, it's been a, it's been really good. Mm, I love it. I love that magazine too. Like for me, those guys, it's legit. Like there's, I mean, there's some magazines out there that really talk to me, but that particular one um, never gets old. And it's so, they probably love the fact that what you're doing is so unique, right? It's one of a kind. I think that's been kind of the draw for them. Yeah. You know, that, that they get so many things, you know, I mean, how many waiters can you, can you, uh, can you review, you know, um, you know, people come out with new rods or new reels, but I think they like the idea of just being a small company, mm-hmm. you know, being a kind of a one person show. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really feel blessed that, uh, that these guys have been impressed enough to be able to, to, to feature my products right along, right along beside the big boys. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Like I know how busy you probably are in your day to day. And I know you said you're kind of you made it sound like you're kind of easing towards retiring. This doesn't sound like you're going to slow down any, but I think it's like a perfect opportunity to kind of hone your attention as you kind of, you know, reach that. I like it when (laughs) I always laugh because we talk about side hustles all the time on here. And we always like, it's like you do all of a sudden you do your side hustle in retirement. So you're not really retired. Right. Right. I'll probably end up working harder doing this than I, <laughs> than I do as a teacher. Yeah. yeah, but I guarantee you it will be fulfilling. And it sounds to me like you've got a fulfilling day job right now, too. So it sounds like a perfect storm. Let, let's talk a little bit about how... So somebody wants to get a hold of... Um, first off, what's the best place to find you? Throw your .com, your Instagram. And I know how much you like being on your phone at work, but... <laughs> Let's talk about let's talk about Instagram um, dot coms. How do we find you, man? Probably the 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 best way is just simply to go to the, to the website, which is uh, lonebisonflytables dot com. Um, very very simple to get to, um, and there I have my my personal number. It um, gets directly to my cell phone. Um, you can message me on on there. Um, it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty easy to get around the website. Um, I think I've got some, some pretty interesting things on there. Um, some human interest things, some videos. Um, so that's, you know, that's probably the best way. Instagram is, has been a pretty good thing for me. Facebook has been a pretty good thing for me. Being, being an old guy and, and, and not being real up to date on, on Instagram, it kind of threw me for a loop <laughs> for, mm. for a long time about how the heck do I do this and, and what's supposed to happen. But uh, I think I'm figuring it out and, and uh, I'm getting a good response and, and getting some people to follow me and, and like what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I'm, I've, I'm working with some, some more magazines and, um, mm-hmm. uh, one, one major, 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 uh, fly tire to endorse my tables. 
um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I did have, uh, did have going was, was, uh, um, I was, I was going to ask Dave Willock, um, whom I was at his, uh, are you familiar with Dave? Oh yeah. Yeah. He just recently died. Yep. Yep. And I was, I was at his last, um, last time he spoke was, was here in Tulsa. Hmm. And we were, I was working with, with he and his, his wife on, on, uh, he was going to paint, uh, on my tables for me. Wow. And so, you know, I was very disappointed, um, you know, and, and that, that I'm not going to be able to do that because he was such a great artist, um, and a great, great person. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was very heartbroken that, you know, that, that he was, he passed away, but, but boy, does he ever leave a legacy. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And anybody that's been to any of the fly fishing shows over the year, he, he's a staple or was a staple, right? No yeah. Doubt. What a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, the fact, I think too, the fact that you're doing something like it, where we are in this world today, it's rare that you find things that are unique. And and if you buy a table from Chris Jackson at Lone Bison, you're the only one making these, right? It's not like you have a team of people doing it. No, it's just me. Yeah, I think it's just me. I come in, I come in covered in in sawdust, and and uh, my 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 wife. Uh, my new wife, as a matter of fact, just got married October 1st. Congratulations. Um, follows me, follows me around with a broom and a vacuum cleaner um, to pick up all the sawdust. But, but yeah, you know, Mark, it's, it's just me and, and it's a happy spot for me and I love doing it. Um, I love talking to, to the customers and finding out how they heard about Lone Bison. Uh, are they satisfied? Are they, are they getting what they want? Um, you know, and I think uh, another draw that that is in my website, but I don't think a lot of people um, necessarily read it all, is I try to use um, upcycled uh, woods that I oftentimes find kind of thrown away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a couple cabinet shops and uh, uh a sawmill that I've got some things from, um, that, you know, this stuff stuck back in the corner because they can't sell it. Uh, so I'm able to resurrect it and, uh, actually build something useful and, and hopefully, um, provide the customer with some great customer service and provide them with a, a beautiful article that, that can, you know, add to their tying space, make their tying more efficient. Um, you know, I, I've had a, I've had a couple guys, uh, order one for their home and one for their lake house, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I, I do have, um, a portable bench as well as a fixed one. And I'll tell you when I go to the lake, that portable bench is going everywhere. And sometimes it's like, I want to go, I want to go sit and tie with a view. So instead of the basement, I'll go upstairs, sit in the window, and then I can actually look around. You got better light. There's something really cool. I think I think you're on to something really, it's kind of retro, but it's kind of new to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. 
Um, I, I think that there's that my my other table that I, I failed to mention uh, called the Nomad, which is my my newest design. Um, I'm not really sure how to market it to get it into the hands of the people who need it. But I, I, it's, it's a very interesting story. Um, I was out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming and uh, went into a, to a fly shop out there and was looking around and talking to a, a young man, um, probably in his late 20s, who was a, a guy working retail, but then he was a guide as well. And I showed him my, my website, and he was all excited about it. But he said, you know, Chris, he said, I work four days, and I'm off three, and I leave the shop, and I go uh, directly to the river, and I fish for three days. He said, I need something that I can throw in the backseat of my truck that I can carry with me that's not big and bulky and, uh, you know, something like that. So I came home, and I designed the Nomad. Now, the interesting thing about the Nomad is it's it's got everything it needs. But what I've done into the base um, on the bottom of it is I've installed two really heavy-duty magnets. So you can attach it to the hood of your truck, any metal surface, and you can tie in the parking lot. You can – it's the size of a um, paperback book and weighs a couple pounds. It's got the great clamping system on the vise. Um, it's got magnetized recesses for your, for your hooks, just like my big tables do. Um, I think it's really, really cool. It hasn't caught on as well as I hoped it would. But, well, uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of my buddies, they literally will tie let's say we go on a fishing trip, they will tie at the cabin or, or the hotel or wherever the heck we happen to be staying. But I know guys that will literally tie on the boat. Absolutely. I see that. That's, I, what, my, that's what my table will do for you. Yeah, Plus, no, it's really, I love it. It's pretty, you know. It, it adds. I think it adds a lot of, uh, of uh, panache, if you will, to, you know, to the to the uh fly fishing fly fisherman you know i in my in my website i i talk about that you know we're we as fly fishermen we demand the the nicest rod and the reel with the greatest drag and the warmest driest waders why not why would we cheat ourselves on our tying stations amen well think about how many times you got home from a trip over the years and you go I wish I had this fly. I wish I had that fly. But if you can react to it on the water or on the lake, that's a whole other dimension. Well, we all we all know that a, that a, a change in size can can pay huge dividends. And so, if all I've got tied are, you know, sixteens, eighteens, and I need a twenty-two, and I can't tie it. What do I do? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I wait till I get home. <laughs> exactly. I, I've been there. That doesn't help you catch fish, but maybe in your dreams. But yeah, no. It's I. I love what you're up to. I think it's awesome. You know something we haven't touched on that I'd love to is. Um, I know you're working with the National Buffalo Foundation. Um, tell us a little bit about what you got going on there. Okay, I uh, I got an order 
for a table from a from a lady in South, what would it be Southwestern South Dakota, Southwestern South Dakota, and uh, I thought, well, South Dakota is not really known for its fly fishing, but uh, I wonder who this person is. So I I did a little bit of research on the name and and the location. And this lady's name is Margaret Hillenbrand. Now, that name meant nothing to me, and it probably means nothing to you at this point. But she is the owner of the 777 Bison Ranch. And the 777 Bison Ranch is the same place that the bison and uh, the bison uh, running across the prairie um, in Dances with Wolves was filmed. So I got to talking to to uh, uh, Margaret Hillenbrand, and I had I had the idea that man. I said I said could you uh, could you possibly gather up a bunch of loose bison hair and stick it in a in a bag for me, and I'll clean it and 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 separate it and make some dubbing out of it, and I'll put a, a bag of it in in each of my my tables that I, that I mail out and kind of go along with the lone bison theme. And she says, well, let me just tell you something. She says, I'm on the board of directors for the uh, national uh, bison foundation uh, or national Buffalo foundation and uh, a couple other things. And she said, I'll do, I'll do you one better. She said, I'll have some cards printed up and um, we will uh, buy some, some bison hair and it's dyed and put it in bags for you and, and staple it to these cards. And if you would want to, you could then put those in each of your uh, boxes that you ship out and you, we can, we can both have a win-win situation on that. So uh, working with the national Buffalo foundation, I, I try to, to put out some, some feelers for some donations and some support on uh, preserving and protecting the, the bison herds uh, that are out there. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a really cool organization, and I, I really feel uh, blessed to be able to uh, do my part in, uh, in helping to preserve and bring, bring some notoriety to, uh, yeah. to the history and the preservation of the American bison. That's awesome. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love what you're up to. And uh, I'm so glad we got to have this chat. Um, We've been chatting today with the owner of Lone Bison Premium Fly Tying Tables. Check him out. We've got Chris Jackson on the line. Um, Distinctive hardwood, unique fly tying tables. Um, This man's had a lot of different jobs, and I think he's found something he loves to do. And uh, it sounds like more than a side hustle to me. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm very honored, uh, Mark, to, to get to be a part of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Um, I like what you're doing. Um, I, I, I really think that, that what you're doing is just as important as anything anybody else is doing for the fly fishing industry. And uh, keep up the good work, sir. Well, it means a lot. I, I appreciate it. And the show is nothing without... Um 
with guests. It's all about the guests. And uh, I, I love your story. Love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And uh, let's stay in touch. And maybe we can do another one of these in the future and see what you're up to. I would love to. I would love to. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.